couple of announcements before I dive in, but open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and Luke 24. Acts 1 and Luke 24. You're definitely going to want to have a Bible in front of you today. We're going to be all over the Scriptures again. And if you don't have a Bible with you, look under the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible there and uh, that you can use. A couple of announcements. We took an offering for the Marshall family, especially for Jessica Marshall. This is our pastor friend in Toledo, Hope Baptist Church. And uh, their house burned down. They lost everything. They're fighting with the insurance company and just a nightmare. And uh, we had we had helped um, Jonathan with some suits and shoes and things so he could do his pastoral work. And then I just thought, we need to help Jessica. So I mentioned that to you last week. We took an offering. And you all gave $2,600 to help them. Isn't that a blessing? And I just said to the guys when I saw the number on the check, I just said, what a great church. And I'm very thankful for Grace Baptist Church and the way that we help people. So thank you so much for doing that. Second thing I want to mention to you is I am heading to Alabama today. I'll leave after the morning service. I'm going to try and get out of here pretty quickly to get the car loaded up and drive that way this evening. But um, so starting tomorrow is our Expound 23 Expository Preaching Clinic. And so this is where we are helping pastors to preach the Bible better. So our pharmacists and our doctors and our engineers, they all have to have continuing education. And so we're trying to provide that for pastors to help us refine our craft and to do better. And the speakers are Dalton Robertson, who has done an amazing amount of work on this subject. And he's also going to be the speaker for our fall Bible conference this year. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, then the other main speaker is James Knox. I'm very excited to have him teach us how he prepares sermons. And then I'm teaching on believing the Bible that you preach. And so be in prayer for that. That's Monday through Wednesday. Thursday, I'll drive to Atlanta and get on a plane for the Philippines. And uh, we're expecting thousands and thousands of people. They have. I got an email yesterday from Brother Chapel, and he said we have over a 1,000 more registered for the morning sessions this year than any other time in the past. So these are pastors from all over the eastern part of the world. So let's be in prayer for that. There'll be about 300 American missionaries there. We'll be helping them as well. So really be in prayer for that. I have to have a COVID test before I leave to be able to go into the Philippines. So pray that I don't get the Rona between now and then. I've never had a COVID test because really I don't care, but I have to have that to get onto the plane. So uh, be in prayer for that. All right, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. And let's look at verse 15. Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. The Bible says, in those days, by the way, we'll still have church here while I'm gone. So Ty Blackford is bringing the young people in on Wednesday night, and that's always a blessing for the Wednesday night Bible study. And then next Sunday morning in my Sunday school class, Wade New is bringing his class in too, so you'll get to feel like you're young again in my class And then in the morning service, Jeff Bradshaw is preaching. In the evening service, Paul Schrader is preaching. And then on that following Wednesday night, uh, Justin Yeo will be teaching in the adult Bible study. So it's a blessing that God has provided us great Bible teachers at our church. And uh, so I'm very thankful for these guys. All right, now to the preaching. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 15. And in those days, and I'm not going to take the time for those days, but but you could trace it to tribulation time, but look at what it says. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together 
were about 120. Now, let's just, y'all just look up here for me. We have more people in this room than the total number of disciples that remained after Christ's resurrection and ascension. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because what Jesus had done was he had laid the groundwork for how we are all supposed to do the work. That's, that, that 120 number, it's such a, that, that just jumps out at me. Wouldn't you have thought that since Jesus is on the earth and it's Jesus that's being offered and it's Jesus that's establishing the church, wouldn't you think there'd be more people? So when you look around and you think, why are there not more people serving God? Understand that it is very difficult for people to choose to follow Christ. Now, it's a gift. He gives us everything that we need for that. Isn't that a blessing? And yet some people still choose to go to hell. They choose to reject Jesus. They choose, and we're going to be looking at that today, they choose not to follow Christ. So when you look around and you see hundreds of people that love the Lord that you get to worship with, thank God for that. Thank God and be encouraged. So let's look at the verse 15 again. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas which was guide to them that took Jesus. Now, this passage today, I mentioned to my Sunday school class today, please listen to this message. You young people, please listen to this today. Please listen. Because we're going to learn some things that are unbelievable. Some things maybe that you haven't thought of before. I'm not going to show you any new truth from the Bible, but we're going to think about it, and it's just unbelievable that this happened. And so let's keep reading. Verse 17, for he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He was, he was numbered with the apostles. He had actually obtained part of the ministry of the apostles. Verse 18, now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in the proper tongue, Eseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric, and his bishopric let another take. Let's... Go to the Lord. Father, help us as we look at this, and what a stark warning this is for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Someone has said, Judas is the greatest tragedy in human history. My message today is, Scripture must be fulfilled. Scripture must be fulfilled. Judas is the greatest tragedy in human history because of his unparalleled privilege. He's the ultimate and wasted opportunity. He was greedy. He was a materialist. He was a money lover. He was motivated by a desire for riches. So strong was his selfish greed that he could literally be in the midst of the living truth and go to hell on purpose. He loved himself way too much. He rejected the truth way too easily. And he resented Jesus much too strongly. 
most powerful demonstration of wasted opportunity ever. That's Judas. And it's interesting, at some point he must have loved Christ. At some point he must have been attracted to Christ. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 4, we have the list of the apostles that Jesus Christ chose. So at, po- at some point, we don't have the account, we don't have uh, any documentation or any, any uh, historical record of how that went about. But at some point, Judas was called to Jesus and he wanted to follow. Jesus didn't make any of the apostles do anything. They chose to follow him. So at some point, Judas was attracted to Jesus Christ. I think it was because he was looking for that that Jewish military leader that would free them from the bondage to Rome and establish the kingdom again. I think that's what Judas was looking for, but he didn't want the suffering Savior. He wanted the rewards of being close to Christ, but he didn't want the suffering He didn't want to take up his cross and follow Christ. And so here is this man who had the greatest opportunity in history. Can you imagine living with Jesus for three years? Three and a half years. And by the end, he hated him so much, he had him murdered. For a pittance. For almost nothing. For 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. Of a wounded slave. Nothing. Nothing. That's how much he hated Christ. And it's amazing. You see it in marriages. People get married and they end up hating each other. People start following Christ and they get involved in a church and they end up, they end up leaving. And when they leave, they say the most awful things about the people that they loved and ministered with. The people, and there were numbered of the, of, of the disciples, 120. Judas was numbered with the twelve. You are numbered with Grace Baptist Church, numbered with the believers that are here. And people can just get to where not only do they leave, but they hate you. They hate Christ. They hate the church. How in the world does this happen? Judas is an amazing picture of this in the Scriptures. At another place, someone said, but one of them stands out, talking about the disciples, against the background of the others. He is isolated. He is lonely. He is alone. His name is Judas Iscariot. That means he's from Kerioth, a man from Kerioth. Judas is the only one of the disciples that's not from Galilee. That's interesting. He's from a different part of Israel. He is, listen, he is a horrifying, colossal misfit. He is the epitome of disaster. He is the vilest, wickedest man the Bible knows anything about. And that's what we're talking about today. He is listed last in every one of the lists of the apostles. Peter is listed first in every list of the apostles. Judas is listed last. And think about this. They both betrayed Christ. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. He's always listed last. And with a comment about his betrayal... Because that was his brand and will be for all time. The dark story of Judas is a blight on the page of human history. Although there is much we know, there is much mystery and darkness surrounding Judas that perhaps we'll never know. His name became a byword for betrayal. 
His name is so despised that it is not used in human society, though its meaning is full of loveliness. His meaning, his name means blessed. His name means praise. And somehow he ended up being known as the betrayer. There are 40 verses in the New Testament in which there's a reference to the betrayal of our Lord. And in each of them, there is the implication of the incredible sin of this man, Judas. After the mention of his death in the first chapter of Acts, he's never mentioned again. This is the end for him. He disappears from Scripture, never to be mentioned again. Now, keep your place here. Well, let's, let's go to Acts 1, verse 15, and then we're going to look at that Luke 24. Verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. And so what he does is he starts this message and it's, I don't know about you, but this seems to be a remarkable transition, a remarkable transformation in the life of Peter. Now, Peter has been one of the apostles. He's one of the best known of the apostles. As I've said, he's the first listed in the lists of the apostles, Judas being the last. But what we see from him is, is the word is always impulsive, that Peter would, would, would speak when it wasn't time to speak, that he would act when it wasn't time to act. He's going to jump out and walk on the water and then stop looking at Christ and fall in. He's going to draw the sword and, and try to cut off the head of the people that come against Jesus. He, after he betrays Christ, he's the one that's going to take and lead the other ones to go fishing and to stop serving Christ. That's the Peter that we know of. And yet, here we are, immediately after the resurrection, 40 days after the resurrection, and a few days after that, and this is still before Pentecost, as they're all gathered together, all of a sudden it's Peter that stands up and is the leader. And he's no longer this foolish, seemingly foolish, impetuous man. Now all of a sudden, he is the spirit-filled, scripture-filled apostle. And here in this passage, we have the greatest example of inspiration in the Bible that we'll ever see. So look at what it says. We're in Acts chapter 1, look at verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Now look at this. Which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. So what is inspiration? For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Ghost. So now what we have is the Holy Ghost is speaking by the mouth of David. That's what inspiration is. Inscripturation is when it's written down. But the inspiration came when the Holy Ghost is actually using the mouth the vocal cords, the tongue, the respiration of the apostle, of the prophet. And David, being the prophet, the Holy Ghost spoke by the mouth of David about Judas, of all people. So how is it? I, I heard a preacher recently that I was listening to on this text. And I like to do that. I, not only do I read my commentaries, but... 
preachers that I enjoy. I want to hear what they say about the text that I'm going to preach. And this, this preacher, he's questioning, where did Peter get this information all of a sudden? Well, Luke tells us. So hold your place here in Acts 1, go to Luke 24. If you've been at Grace Baptist any period of time, you've probably heard me read this passage about a thousand times. But this is after the Emmaus Road, after the resurrection, after the Emmaus Road. Now look at Luke 24 and look at verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. Now doesn't it seem like Jesus Christ just appears to them? His resurrection body, he does stuff in his resurrection body. That, that There's only one other time in Scripture that we know that he did that. That's when they, he had just said that today this Scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And so the Jews wanted to kill him and push him off a cliff. And he just kind of disappeared. But here he's appearing. Doesn't show him walking up. He just appears. I think that's pretty cool. The Bible says we're going to be like him. I think I'm going to get to do that. Zap, I'm somewhere else. I love that. Some of you wish you could do that right now. But... So he appeared unto them, said, Peace be unto you. Verse 37. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. Okay, here's some more good news, folks. We get to still eat in our heavenly bodies, and you won't get fat. Hallelujah. Give me a donut. Verse 44. I, I went with Jacob to the Chicago car show, cheated that day. I ate. I think two donuts, and I had two hot dogs. I put on three pounds. All right, here we go. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms, look at what he says, concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. See, here's the deal. Peter already knew the Old Testament. He knew the Scriptures. He just didn't understand them. Now, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 20, he breathes on them and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So that's kind of a preview. And we'll talk about that when we get to Acts 2. But that's kind of a preview of the indwelling Holy Spirit that he gave specifically to the apostles. And so the, he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So now Peter has received the Holy Ghost. Jesus has opened his understanding that he'll understand the Scriptures that he already knows. I was just speaking with someone, I can't remember if it was a pastor or somebody else, who said to me this week that it'd be a cool thing to preach really familiar verses slowly and and breakdown because sometimes memorization we can know the scriptures so well that we lose their meaning that's interesting isn't it imagine john 3:16 really taking the time to to understand every bit of that a passage that you've known since you were a little child and so that's what jesus did 
those verses, those passages of the Bible that the apostles had heard all of their lives being read in the synagogue, they were very familiar with it. It was a part of their national identity. He knew them, but now for the first time he understands them. And that understanding, we had a guy that would come to preach in Bible college, and he was famous for reading 10 chapters in his Bible a day. He's always talking, I had to read my chapters, had to read my chapters. And I would say to a friend, I'm just hoping that maybe one day one of those chapters will make it into a sermon. Because his preaching was all stories and, and encouragement, but it was never actually preaching the Bible. So he knew the Bible, but that didn't actually make it into the preaching of the Bible. What Peter is doing here is he's demonstrating what inspiration is. David, that the Holy Ghost spoke spoke by the mouth of David. And now what Peter is going to do is he's going to say, look, Jesus was betrayed. Judas was one of us. We had our prayer meeting with our leaders, with a group of our leaders that we have every Sunday morning in my Sunday school or in my office. And I mentioned to the guys, because we we rely on each other. We team leaders, we rely on each other for ministry. We believe in each other. We trust each other. Imagine if one of them was a devil. And, of course, Jim McDermott pointed to Chad Hollinger. And I was able to demonstrate that the apostles were much more spiritual than Jim because the apostles said, is it I? Is it I? Jim said, it's him. (laughs) But imagine... Imagine the people you minister with. Imagine the people you work with that you know are godly people and you enjoy their Christian fellowship. Imagine if you found out one of them was actually a devil. That's what Peter's preaching about. And he doesn't address the problem psychologically. He doesn't address the problem philosophically. He doesn't address the problem emotionally. He addresses the problem scripturally. He says, the Bible told us this would happen. This is no surprise to God. And what he demonstrates in this text is that Scripture must be fulfilled. Scripture that we like must be fulfilled. Scripture that we don't like must be fulfilled. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. And what did Peter say? Be it not so, Lord. And what did Jesus have to say to him? Get thee behind me, oh, you precious man. No, Satan. Because the only being, the only spiritual being that truly wants to defy the word of God is Satan. Scripture must be fulfilled. Young people, what the Bible says about you is true. If you live like a fool, you will get a fool's reward. Right? You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. That's not in the Bible. But the Bible very clearly tells you what will happen when you're a fool. Your life will be destroyed. Poverty will ensue. Is your goal to be poor? What do you want to do when you grow up? I want to have nothing and be nothing. Well, if that's what you want, then be a fool. What am I doing? I'm, I'm prophesying to you. I'm telling you what God says about you. But the Bible also says, if you'll obey your parents, then it'll be well with you. And you'll live long on the earth. If you want to prosper, then do what the Bible says you must do in order to prosper. 
The scripture must be fulfilled. What the Bible says is true. And what the Bible says about your future is true. The Bible says about my future is true. So Peter's sermon is full of scripture. And so let's look at Acts chapter 1 again. Verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled. So the scripture refers to the passages quoted in verse 20. Look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. All right. So we're going to look up some passages in a minute, but he is quoting from the Psalms. And of course, that's when he was speaking of David. So Peter is not offering his own opinion, but rather affirming what God had said. And as is the case with all scripture, it must be fulfilled. God's word is true and what he predicts must certainly come to pass. Don't take the time to turn there, but Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he has, he has pleased. Hey, how many of you ever have to do something you don't want to do? That's called being an adult. Right? There are people who never do what they don't want to do. And those people, there's a technical term. They're called losers. They're called fools. Right? Two men will never succeed. The man that must be told everything and the man that can be told nothing. Right? We all do things we don't want to do. God never does anything he doesn't want to do. He didn't have to. Why? Because he's God. Everything he does is good. Everything he does is right. Listen to this. Everything he wants to do is good. And everything he wants to do is right. That's why God's different than us. Jesus said, I do always those things that please the Father. How about that? Wouldn't you love for that to be on your tombstone? Right? Mine will probably say, I told you I was sick. <laughs> That's what it's gonna... I would rather it say, he always did those things that please the Father. Amazing. Amazing. God and... Isaiah 46, 9 says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. The scripture must be fulfilled. Isaiah 55, 11, of course, says that God's word will never return to him again void. Everything God says is true. And Peter characterized the scripture he was about to quote as that which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas. And that is, of course, the clearest description of inspiration found in the Scriptures. But here's a question. Have you ever had this question? I'm sure you have. Why in the world would Jesus pick Judas? How many of you have had that thought? He wasn't fooled. Boy, Jesus, Peter, or Judas betrays him. And he has a shocked look. I, I trusted you. Why would you do this? No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Peter reassures his hearers that despite Judas's treachery, and look at the way he describes him. We're in Acts chapter 1 again. Look at verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. He's saying that this is not, this betrayal, it was not a mistake, but it was the sovereign God 
fulfilling Scripture. So let's look at some things. Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Whenever I do a study like this, I'm, I'm always shocked at how much the Bible prophesies, how much the Bible will say about these, these important events. So look at John chapter 6 and verse 70. Look at verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Isn't that a wonderful passage? Verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? Look, look back up at verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. So back down to verse 70, Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was uh, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. And he's also always listed as one of the twelve, one of the twelve, no, one of the twelve. And that's the way that Peter lists him. He was numbered among us. He was numbered among the apostles. It's a shocking thing. But Jesus isn't surprised. But don't miss, in verse 70, he's clearly identifying who Judas is. But in verse 64, Peter's included in that. He knew who would betray him. He knew which disciples were not going to come along. Every once in a while, someone at Grace Baptist will leave. And often, Laura and I, it's hurtful when people that you love no longer want to minister with you. Right? That's, That's a hurtful thing. And often we have this conversation for some of the people. It's amazing they stayed that long. Have you ever had that thought? Because you can tell sometimes that people just quite aren't quite on the same wavelength as we are at Grace Baptist. Tim Roth identified that as crazy, that you got to be a little crazy to be a part of Grace Baptist. And I think that's probably true. Jesus knew who wasn't going to stick. You know, it's a sobering thought. So, let's do a parenthesis right here. I was in sales. I, I had a lot of training in how to sell things to people. I was successful at it. And basically what sales is, is creating a need and overcoming objection. That's what sales is. How many of you ever had a salesman show you something that you never thought you needed? And by the time they're done, you know, it's like Napoleon Dynamite. I want that. Right? So that's the job. When I became a pastor, the idea of using those tools to manipulate people or get them to do something in ministry, that's repulsive to me. You know what? I'm going to put a guilt trip on you to get you to give more money to the building or to missions or something. That I can't do that. I won't do that. So that, that parenthesis, all right, understand my motive when I say this to you. Jesus knows if you're going to keep serving God or not. This is... This, this might feel like manipulation or whatever, and it's just not. 
Do you want to be that person? Would you want to be? It's okay. We love Cheyenne. She's fine. Hi, Cheyenne. Would you want to be that person that Jesus knows you're going to betray him? Can I be a little bit more rough on it? Jesus knows you're a liar. Jesus knows you're a thief. That you're only here to sign up Amway people or whatever. Jesus knows why you're here. You're fooling us. You're not fooling him. Jesus knows if you are the young person that is only here because of the babes. That's a pretty good reason, right? Be better than being here for the guys. But, But seriously, Jesus knows why you come to the youth group. And let me just say out loud, it's fine for you to come because it's fun. Nothing in the world wrong with that. And it's fine for you to come because your parents have you here on pain of death. That's okay too. Supposed to obey your parents. Amen, church? Those motives are fine, but if that's your only motive, you may be one of these people that looks at Jesus and says, nah. We as a church, it's wonderful to come here and learn and grow and enjoy the music and enjoy the atmosphere and enjoy teaching, enjoying being stimulated intellectually. That's, that's a good thing, but that can't be the only thing. And the Lord knows who you are. The Lord knows that. Let's, let's demonstrate that from Scripture. Look at John chapter 13. Verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, and okay, so this is, this is it. Jesus is about to die. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into Simon or into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from the supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And he goes on and washes the disciples' feet. And look at what it says in verse 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean But not all, not all of you are clean, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye ought also, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And he goes on, and in this passage, drop down to 
verse 24, Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him. Uh, you know, look at verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. What, what scripture is that? Hold your place right here in John. Go to Psalm 41. Remember when Jesus was on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember when he said that? Why did he say that? Because God had forsaken him? He was pointing people to Psalm 22. Remember what Jesus was doing. Jesus was challenging the religious people. And what he's doing right now is he's pointing out a very familiar passage to his disciples. So look at Psalm 41 and verse 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. This is the psalm. This is a famous psalm. Go back to John 13. Verse 18, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you, before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. So even Judas is a part of Jesus saying, that's going to help you believe. So when, when Peter is standing up and say, the scripture, the scripture by the, the Holy Ghost, by the mouth of David, spoke about this. Ben, don't be discouraged about Judas. This proves Jesus is God. Isn't it interesting how you can look at bad things in your life? You can look at a bad thing as God forsaking you. Or you can look at a bad thing as God delivering you through it. And that's what Peter is doing. Look at, let's keep reading. Verse 19 again, Now I tell you before it come, that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me, I'm sorry, he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in his spirit and testified and said, verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Can you see? It came up in him. He's troubled. One of you is going to betray me. And remember, he's always going to tie these things to Scripture, demonstrating that he's God. Then look at what it says in verse 22. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. So that's John. That's the way he describes himself in the Gospel of John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who should be, who it should be of whom he spake. <laughs> Isn't Peter interesting? Hey, John, John, ask him. Peter doesn't want to be the one to ask. Why? Because he's been slapped down so many times for stupid questions. Verse 25. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answers, he it is to whom I shall give a sop. So they would 
take the bread and they dip it into a, a kind of a concoction and you would give it to the honored guest. He wasn't saying to Judas that you are a devil. He's honoring him as his friend that he's sharing bread with. Over and over and over and over again, Jesus gave Judas opportunities to repent. See, the fact that Jesus knew that Judas would betray him was not determinative on Judas. Think about this. Have you ever, your, your child says something to you about what they're about to do, and you know they're lying to you. You kids, you think we're dumb. It's hilarious. So we know, and you know what they're about to do is going to cause them trouble. And sometimes because you love them, you let them do the thing so that they get the result. Amen? Have your parents, you all done that? Are you telling them to do the dumb thing? No, you just know they're going to do it. There's a big difference between knowing what's going to happen and causing that. Now, what you might say is, well, the difference between me and God is God can actually make me do something and God can actually change those things. And in the grace of God, he does those things for us to protect us. But many times he knows the evil that's coming and he uses that evil. He uses that. So, for example, in World War II, you had the the getting ready for the invasion of, at Normandy, Operation Overlord, and the, the, the turning point in the war where the United States is going to do this massive invasion. And so they knew that they were being observed. They knew how the Germans worked. And so what they did was they set up fake tanks and fake installations and card or, or plywood cutouts at the Pont de Calais, this, this place that was an easier place to cross. And they actually did the invasion at Normandy. What were they doing? They knew how the enemy worked, and they used that against the enemy. That's exactly what God is doing. He knows how Satan works. He knows who Satan is influencing. He knows who is susceptible to Satan. And for his own purposes, he uses that. And so he did not determine that, that, that Judas would do this, but he knew he would, and he knew that that would fulfill Scripture. What an amazing God we have. And yet he's troubled in his spirit by that. So verse 26, Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop, and when I have dipped it, and when, when I've dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Would you like to be Simon? This is my son. How are your kids doing? Well, Judas... And after the sop, look at this, verse 27. Satan entered into him. Then Jesus said unto him, That thou doest do quickly. I'll tell you what's amazing. This is my opinion. Okay, I try and tell you when the Bible is saying something. This is my opinion. I don't think he's talking to Judas right there. I think he's talking to Satan. See, people have this idea that Satan defeated Jesus. No. Okay, Satan. Get it going. And do you know what Satan did? He did it quickly. Why? Because he's God's devil. 
So Judas, this picture. Let's look at a couple of other passages. Look at Psalm 69. I know it's time to be done. Psalm 69. Be honest with me. Is this interesting to you? It's just fascinating. Psalm 69, look at verse 25. And this is the passage that uh, Peter is quoting. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. Let their habitation be desolate. Let none dwell in their tents. Look at Psalm 109 and verse 8. This is my passage for President Biden. Let his days be few and let another take his office. This is about Judas. So what's going to happen in the next passage in the book of Acts? Another takes his place, Matthias. Isn't that interesting? The the Bible prophesies all of this for us. Look at Zechariah. Zechariah, second to the last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 11. The Bible's such a, just an amazingly supernatural book. That's why we don't need to change it. We just need to believe it. Zechariah chapter 11, look at verse 12. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized at them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That's 500 years before... This happens. Go to Acts chapter 1. Verse 18. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. You say, well, wait a minute. And I don't have time to show you the passages, but the, it was actually the Pharisees that bought the field where he died. But it says that he bought the field. Well, it was Judas's money. They wouldn't take it back. He bought the field. And the Bible says that he went and hanged himself. And here it says that that his his bowels gushed out. What happened when Jesus Christ died? There was a great earthquake. Judas didn't wait for Jesus to die. He went and hanged himself. And when he hung himself, the earthquake took place. And he fell and was mashed on those rocks. And from that point on, now there's no chance of repentance. See, there are two men that repented or, or that betrayed Jesus. One is in heaven. One is exalted. One is going to sit on one of the 12 thrones in the new Jerusalem. One we are going to meet and see, and the other is in hell. The other is the son of perdition. The other, Jesus himself said, would be better that he had never been born. They're both betrayers. And let me give you an amazing correlation between Peter and Judas. They both had the exact same opportunity. Listen, it's not about opportunity. Number two, they both had the exact same education from Christ. It's not about what you know. They both had the exact same access to Jesus. It's not that one person can come to Christ and the other can't. One chose to accept not the Messiah they wanted, but the Messiah that came. 
You see, why did Peter deny Christ? Because he thought the kingdom was coming and he messed it up. That's what happened. And so for the rest of his life, he talked about the more sure word of prophecy. He talked about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. He talked about how he had betrayed Christ. Why? Because he did not believe him, but ultimately he did. He repented. The Bible says they both repented in sorrow. Judas repented of what he had done and tried to stop it. So he, had, he was sorry for what he did. Folks, being sorry for what you do is not enough. And so what do we see? That salvation is not based on works. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what we believe and who we choose. You see, ultimately, ultimately, Judas rejected Jesus. And ultimately, Peter accepted Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Just think of all the access, all of the opportunity that Judas had. And he turned away. Young people, I'm just telling you, you are so much more accountable than your friends at school who have never heard any of this. You have been exposed to Jesus. You have been exposed to godliness. You have been exposed to truth. It's been, it's been clearly explained and revealed to you and lived out in front of you. Listen, you are without excuse. Church people, God knows how many of you are going to leave because you don't like the color of the chairs or you don't like if the preacher preaches against alcohol or you, you want to live a certain way, you want to do a certain thing. You're not happy when the, when the leadership at Grace Baptist stands up against error. You don't want that. You want us to be all touchy and feely and you don't want to pay the price. You don't want to, ha- you don't want to carry your cross. God knows where you are on that. And right now today, I am calling you to repentance. Not to submit to the pastor, because I'm going to mess up. I'm going to let you down. But to submit to the word of God. As it's preached, in its context, Judas heard it all and went to hell. Now, I'm not the only preacher in town that has the truth. How many of you are thankful for that? And yet, that's not why. People stop. Almost never does someone leave for doctrinal reasons. Folks, let's be numbered together among the disciples of Christ in Sydney. Let's be numbered together. But let's not be the one. Yeah, I remember him. Listen to what he did. Here's his testimony. Imagine, yeah, the, the, the son of Jim the son of Brent, the son of Ty, the son of Denver, the son of Justin. How horrible. How horrible. Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Let's just read through this passage one more time. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry 
I've got to show you one thing before we're done. Look at Acts. Keep your place here. Look at Acts 20 and verse 24. Here's the difference between Judas and Paul. Remember, Paul was Saul, killing Christians. Enemy of Christ. Acts 20 and verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And look at this. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He received that ministry as a gift. Back to Acts 1, verse 17. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. He was with Jesus when he walked on the water. He was with Jesus when he fed the 5,000. He was with Jesus when he fed the 4,000. He was with Jesus when he healed the, the, the sick and raised the dead. He was with Jesus when he gave sight to the blind and when he restored limbs. He was with Jesus and saw every bit of it. He saw his graciousness. He saw his love. He saw, he saw his empathy. He saw his mercy. He saw his truth. And he walked away from it and went to hell. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst and all his bowels gushed out. That's the end of Judas. What's your end? What's your end? Man, I want my end to be he walked with Christ. I want well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you know what the difference is? Judas wasn't saved. I'm thankful that folks that don't want to walk with us, that they're still saved. Aren't you thankful God doesn't lose your salvation when you take your salvation when you leave a church? And yet, there are people in this room, and you've heard the gospel over and over and over again. You've heard the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and you still think you have to be baptized, or you still think that you being a member of a particular church is going to take you to heaven. Some of you think that because your parents were good people and that you pay your taxes that you can go to heaven. When the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Judas ministered as an apostle of Jesus Christ and went to hell. If you're here today and you are not 100% sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, listen, you're going to be with Judas. Please don't let it be said that Jim Alter never told you the truth. Are you saved? Are you sure? And are you going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with the rest of your life, here or somewhere else? Lord, what an amazing passage of Scripture. Thank you for fulfilling your word. In Jesus' name.